Welcome to the new episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich, and joining me on the phone from the blanket fort he constructed in the community college where he has spent the last five years, it's EW's Jeff Jensen. Jeff, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm doing well, although I apparently can't speak today. How are you? <laughs> uh, Jeff, uh, neither of us can speak. I'm sure we're both just emotionally traumatized by the finale for Sleepy Hollow, the Fox series, which just concluded its first season. Uh, later on in the show, we'll be discussing NBC's community. But I want to lead off with Sleepy Hollow because I know that... Uh, it's a show that I think we were both pleasantly surprised by when it debuted. This, of course, is the series that, in its season premiere, uh, sort of took the Washington Irving legend of Sleepy Hollow and uh, sort of is, is would you think, would the proper phrase be pumped it full of steroids and lucky charms? Would that, would that more or less describe the feeling that you got from that season premiere? More lucky charms than steroids, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. yeah the, the, the the Sleepy Hollow pilot was a, a, a total pleasant surprise. Um, I, I wasn't expecting to be as charmed by it, um, and as fun as as it was, I was expecting another dour, bleak kind of like uh, you know, uh, um, you know, not that I would say grim is a, a, a dour, bleak show. It's actually quite fun. But I, I, I was getting a little bit of a grim vibe from it. I was getting another sort of dark fantasy vibe from it. I was like, this is going to be heavy. It's going to be portentous, but like, you know, but allegedly fun. And, um, uh, but it was more fun than I, than I ever thought. And, and, and you know, the, the, the stars kind of really kind of carried it and brought it to life. I just, I, I love the central performances. They're having a great fun time with it and I thought just the the, the the treatment of history was rather inspired. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I think what you're getting at is there was a, a real sense of whimsy in the first episode. I mean, again, we need to kind of like cast our minds back to when we all first heard about this show, and it really did sound like a joke. I mean, it's it sounded like uh, I remember on Party Down once there was some sort of you know joking reference about how you know we're going to do like a TV show about Sherlock Holmes teaming up with Abraham Lincoln, and this sort of seemed like that might be that sort of this is. That Hollywood has finally run out of all ideas. Quite the opposite, though. It, it was sort of carried off with such a joie de vivre, if you if you will. Um, and I think that, to your point, a lot of that really comes to the two leads, uh, Tom Meissen as Ichabod Crane. I think just brought so much to that part, and really, I mean. You know, there is a character who theoretically should be just absolutely drowning in the concept of the show. He begins uh, the pilot in the Revolutionary War era, then suddenly wakes up, you know, Rip Van Winkle style, 200 years in the future in our present day. And he's, you know, fighting off the apocalypse and all this stuff. And I, I just felt like uh, in sort of getting caught up on the first season over these last few weeks, it really you could really see that he just really managed to sort of, you know, play that character so well. But I also thought that. Uh, you know, as wait, 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 pause. Let's look before, before we, we move on. Let's oh. just stick on Ichabod for a second, which is I, I totally agree that this is a character that risked sort of becoming all of the, the, the heavy archetypes that that we know for, uh, for, from this kind of genre. I mean, like he's touched by tragedy, he's disconnected from love. I mean, he could be kind of really heavy and morose and kind of like this sort of like dark hero. And he definitely has those shades to him. But the, the, the genius touch 
was to really kind of play up the fish out of water kind of aspect and kind of like really kind of play to the this sort of virtuous blowhard kind of guy mm-hmm. that like that that Tom just really like went for and does not play ironically um but like uh but but plays rather earnestly and sincerely but there's something about his personality too that makes it really winning and not like overbearing or or pretentious or anything it's a great bit of casting with a sort of lighter touch uh to a a, a familiar character of this genre that kind of like for, for me the pilot like that that's what kind of like grabbed me was was him and his portrayal I was like okay I could I could follow this character but I mean uh, we'll, we'll move into Nicole but for me it was Nicole that really sort of like and, and her performance kind of like really came on and grounded the whole season for me and she's also incredibly light and winning too absolutely I mean like you know I, I think that uh, you know it, it it she has the much less showy role in a lot of ways you know she really is sort of like like the straight man to Ichabod. And, and I just think that it's funny because, you know, the first episode for me, the one part that didn't quite come off about it was them sort of saddling uh, her character, Abby with, with her own sort of separate, you know, kind of tragic backstory. And, you know, this mysterious blackout that may or may not have been caused by this demonic force and all that stuff. Uh, but what, what I liked about her as the season went on was again, she also did a lot of, great work in just sort of grounding it because it almost felt to me like she was being beamed in from a relatively straightforward but still very fun procedural you know I mean like I, I, I almost think that you know there's there's a totally different world where she wound up on a typical cop show and was equally good. And I, I loved like that sort of interplay because there were so many things as the season went along. There were golems, there were tree monsters. Uh, in the season finale, there was you know like a sort of zombie George Washington moment. And I really felt that she brought so much to the table just by kind of being able to you know deliver all that and make you kind of believe it and make you also kind of think like, yeah, you know what? Like if she's gonna go along with this, then I'm gonna go along with this. Too, and so I, right, I think that right, I think that like yeah. I mean it's it's interesting because you know I, I think that very often in recent years when we've talked about you know TV shows we, we've loved we very often sort of focus on you know on the writing and the sort of cult of the showrunner and everything and it, to me Sleepy Hollow just first and foremost those two actors I think just really kind of make the show work for me in a really exciting way. Um, yeah, um, I, I would say that the character of Abby could have easily been. Uh, you know the, the the Scully archetype from from the X Files, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that like initially, like that's what I was kind of suspecting uh, that the, the, the show was going for. Like Ichabod is going to be sort of like the, uh, the the guy that knows the secret truth of the universe, and it's kind of weird and it's kind of crazy, and the you know rational, reasonable people around him like, you know, aren't really buying into it, especially his partner, Abby, sort of like the very kind of like gritty, down-to-earth, a reasonable cop. Um, but, you know, they're bonded together. But, you know, every episode is ultimately about sort of like winning her over to believe that maybe, maybe, just maybe something weird is going on, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, 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 and they're in this together. But what I loved about Sleepy Hollow is they really moved past that pretty quickly. Yep. Like, like Abby, like 
kind of serve that function initially, but I mean, she's no dummy, and she has this thing from her past that kind of like allows her to sort of feel and sense that there's some truth here, but you know, it's like, like, uh, yep, like, weird stuff going on, monsters coming through the mirror, like people's heads turning around and like, and, and still, and still fighting. And like, there is something where to go along. And I, and, and I, I believe you, but yet like there's, but she still remained that grounded force and, uh, and, and how like uh, for everything, which was really great. Yeah. Like, I like what you said, like if she can roll with this, so can we. Yeah, like exactly. There, there isn't a lot of manufactured tension between them either. Like, not only did she quickly move past her skepticism, which usually forms, like, conflict between partners in this kind of situation, but she, like, immediately recognized that there was something very likable, and, 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 and she kind of cared about this guy's plight, and he to her, and they genuinely like each other. I really like that. Yeah, no, I, I think that you're exactly right. Uh, I, I just, you know, what, what she kind of represents on the show uh, really kind of stands for a lot of things that I like about Sleepy Hollow. We, we've talked before on Entertainment Geekly about a lot of the sort of uh, sci-fi fantasy series that came in the wake of Lost in the last few years. And, you know, for me, a recurrent problem with all of them was just this this ongoing sense of the good stuff is being kind of kicked forward. You know, it was always kind of like, you know, with, with with the event, what is the event? You don't find out until, like, you know, the final, uh, the final episode of the first season. And what I think that, uh, you know, what Nicole Bahari brings to the show is also what I like about the show, which is the sense of, you know what? Let's move past all that. Let's get down to brass tacks here. You know, like, okay, fine. We're fighting the war against a demon to stop the apocalypse. Great. I'm on board with that. Now let's move on to the next thing. Um, and I, I think that's what sort of, I think what makes the show very appealing. And, uh, you know, it, it had great success, a, a, a rare new network show to have a lot of success this year. The finale uh, was very high rated. I, I want to ask you a question. Question though, Jeff, because back when the Sleepy Hollow premiere aired uh, back in the fall, you had sort of written a piece about it, and you kind of concluded with saying that you wanted to see if it was the kind of show that would move beyond the usual apocalypse and conspiracy mythology and the kind of dubious pathology that represents. And I, I sort of felt like in reading in rereading that piece going into the finale, it felt like you sort of had the same sense that I had, which was. Is this show going to be, you know, is it going to kind of really advance into some interesting ideas or is it going to be just a total kind of lark? And I find that I'm sort of I'm sort of struggling with that even after the finale, which I enjoyed quite a bit. How did you kind of feel this season turned out? How did you feel about the finale sort of based on where we were with the show way back when it premiered? Yeah, I, I probably feel the same way. I, you know, and I, with, with with a caveat, um, I had a lot of grace ultimately for this season to be pretty much like like a a, a dark fantasy story about heroes on the front lines of impending apocalypse and needing to sort of do everything they can to stop it from happening, um, uh, and largely because only like 12 or 13 episodes. Mm -hmm. I thought that was actually a really good choice on, 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 on their, on their part. I, I, my understanding is that Fox may have wanted more, but I, I think that like, just, okay, 
that, that that's that's a good that's a good first season like 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 uh that 12 episodes to introduce us to these characters introduce us to this world figure out what a good story of sleepy hollow is because that's always a struggle in the first six to seven episodes of any tv show is like how does this thing work like how can we what's a really good story for us um and i think that by by episode six or seven like you know like i think it it found what it wanted to be i think it found what it what it could do well and could not do well and i think that um they realized something more quickly than, say, a show like Fringe <laughs> did um, in its first season, which was um, uh, it really kind of needs to give itself over to some kind of big epic saga about, like, you know, <laughs> the end of the world. And this this, this season, I think, it, it did it pretty, pretty well. Like, it, it's been praised a lot for its sort of go-for-broke plotting and gonzo storytelling. And I kind of feel like some of those touches, um, um, I, th- I thought it made it really fun, like minute to minute, scene to scene in, in, in a given episode. It definitely got you through the end and you felt like you got a really kind of rich, wild meal. At the same time, like one of the things I wasn't really completely buying in the season finale is all the stuff with John Noble trying to like you know, pulling the sort of like Ozymandias or the big villain and kind of showing how he was sort of leading and manipulating all the things along the way. Like, there's such gonzo storytelling in there that I don't necessarily see and recognize and feel that kind of like intricate master plotting airtight logic to it all, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, I think that that is a really interesting thing you're bringing up. So uh, we should just say that, uh, I mean, you know, spoilers, although, you know, really, I mean, this this doesn't ruin and, and may actually make Sleepy Hollow more interesting to you if you haven't seen it yet. John Noble, uh, the great John Noble from Fringe, joined the series midway through the first season as a sort of lovable, eccentric, very, uh, you know, uh, Walter from Fringe character. And then in the final 15 minutes of the finale, revealed that far from that, he was a dark, uh, you know, vaguely totalitarian apocalypse thirsting for a big villain, more like uh, Walt's alternate from Fringe. Uh, And he was also Ichabod's son. I'll let you finish, and then I'll have a, I have a response to that. Oh, oh, oh please, please do. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I was just describing things oh, in my well, inimitable fashion. <laughs> you, were, you were going on to say, though, that John Noble's character, um, uh, Henry Parrish, right? Yes. Um, Henry Parrish, r- rare time in which I know characters' names on this podcast, and we're about to enter into an example where I don't know a character's name. <laughs> um, but like we found out that Henry Parrish um, is the son um, of, 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 of Ichabod and his, uh, lady love, a witch whose name is, uh, who, Jeff, uh, Jeff, uh, honestly, I don't think anyone knows what her name is. I, I, yeah, boy, that actress has the most thankless role in television. She spent the entire season in purgatory. She finally gets out and then she gets knocked out and like taken away by the headless horseman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm telling you, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it now. Wait, it's, I, it's I, uh, 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 Katrina. 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 Okay. So Henry Parrish is the child of Ichabod and, and and Katrina, and you know, of course, he was he was killed by Katrina's coven of witches way back in the day, but was resurrected ten years before the events of this series. Um, 
in that uh, on that very same day that Abby and her sister Jenny, I know a name, Jenny, um, <laughs> like we're, we're, we're in the woods and saw Moloch. I know a name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. There we go. Um, doing some evil stuff, and, and, and Abby's memory was wiped. Um, but like Henry, child of Ichabod and, 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 and uh, Katrina, was, 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 was brought out of the ground by Moloch, resurrected, and then I guess essentially in that moment anointed as the second horseman of the apocalypse. Yes, he, became, he became war, I believe, right? Right. So, like, I wanted to sort of, like, correct. I, I, I don't really find him to be – I think the archetype that's interesting about his character – and and, 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 and and I love this characterization because we're talking about John Noble, who physically is considerably older than, like, you know, like an appearance-wise, Katrina and, and, and Ichabod, but is playing their son, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, uh, but the archetype that he, he embodies isn't like the, you know, like, world-dominating despot, you know, like, Walternate at his most evil. He's like the angry child who was sort of like abandoned and screwed over by his parents, by his culture, by his country, and is being sort of like manipulated and um, and, and and turned into something sort of dark and horrible and angry by by the forces of evil. He, he's a terrorist, and yeah. like um, and. And it's that sets up an interesting kind of like um, situation that I hope is explored in the second season, because I was kind of bummed that w- that that Henry Parrish, played by John Noble, an actor I really like, was sort of revealed to be a villain. But I'm wondering if maybe there is some kind of redemption arc for him um, as he sort of realizes that maybe sort of like throwing down with the forces of evil will only lead to bad news. And so he goes the Darth Vader route and maybe yeah, well, well, and, well, comes back over to the side of good. Well, you know? and, well, and, you know, uh, even if even if that doesn't happen, I, I, I get the sense that just because John Noble is John Noble, I think there will be more shadings to him. I, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I sort of felt like one of the failings of the show this season was because the sort of main overriding villain was Moloch, this sort of, you know, shadowy, very CGI devil who spoke with, you know, this sort of comically evil voice. Like, it sort of felt like the... It sort of felt like that part of the show was always lacking in a way. Or like, you know, or like really what it had was a fill-in-the-blank evil force. And I like the idea that next season that blank will be sort of filled by this character who does seem to have, you know, as you point out, a really interesting pathology, a really interesting sort of background that can be sort of explored even more. Um, But the the main thing... (laughs) To go back to a point that you... I felt like you asked me a question. I really didn't answer it like sufficiently. I want to get back on that point because I think it's a really good point in relationship to this show, which is like our worry feeling at the beginning of whether or not this is just going to be another sort of like avert the apocalypse saga, and 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 and, and can it can it be more than that? And I in my response to that, I want to hear more of what you think on this subject too. But like like my my initial response is that I was good with it being just that for the most part here in the first season. But I share with you what I think you were going for there by the end, which is like, oh, like, but by the end of the season, this, this is still an ongoing concern. And moreover, 
I found myself kind of thinking about the possibility of, okay, so is like every season of this show about activating one more horseman? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, and then like, so at the end of next season, we'll get horseman number three. And then at the end of season four, we'll get horse, uh, and then end of, end of season three, we'll get horseman number four. And then by season four or five, we'll have the final, like, like drag down apocalyptic, you know, fight between our heroes and, 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 and all of, or a few of the horsemen. Um, cause you know that at least one or two of these horsemen will defect to the side of good yep. and uh, they'll either have to recruit a new horseman or there will only be three horsemen. Well, we'll end, end. I, I think, and, and I, I don't think... know. If, I don't know if I like that. That sounds a little exhausting, especially in the context of this is the other thing that like like I wondered about the show at the beginning and I swear I will shut up after I'm done here but like uh like I wondered about the show at the beginning and I definitely feel about now I I I don't I feel like the show should be bigger than just the town of Sleepy Hollow you know it makes me wonder if like you know maybe next season especially like the continuous reminders along the way of the fact that Abby gave up this sort of like career at the FBI, but might have some correct connections to the FBI. Wondering if maybe season two could be, you know, like you know, how much longer can 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 Sleepy Hollow just be this sort of hellmouth kind of like 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 place and be sort of ground zero <laughs> for like um, um, uh, the, the, the apocalypse? And maybe at some point, what we find out is there are another flashpoints of stuff going on all over the world, all over the country, at least. And like other uh, 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 horsemen and other sort of like cults supporting these horsemen are sort of like uh, coming up in certain areas. And the FBI gets involved, recruits Abby and Ichabod. They become sort of like, or, you know, they're, they're Mulder and Scully agents, sort of like, like you know, hey, you, you seem uniquely qualified to fight the, fight these bad guys. Like, uh, get out of Sleepy Hollow and go to go to Toledo because we have a well, major like well, and, like and, famine and horseman problem there. Well, well and it's, it's interesting because you know what I think you're bringing up, Jeff, is something that I felt very frequently. Uh, if this makes sense, in the middle of every episode of Sleepy Hollow, which is that the show is simultaneously too big and too small. Too yeah. big in yeah. the sense that uh, it does feel as if... I mean, it, it does have that sort of Dan Brown quality of are we just going to follow the Book of Revelations? And if so, you know, isn't that kind of boring? And, you know, even the last, uh, the very last scene of the finale saw the breaking of the second seal and it was like, okay, well, I guess there's five more seals they are going to be broken at some point. And that feels a little bit reductive. At the same time, you know, Sleepy Hollow, uh, by around the middle of the season, it started to feel a little bit like, what was the name of the town in Murder, She Wrote? Cabot, Cabot Cove or whatever? Or uh, um, I, believe it, I, I believe it was Murderopolis. Murderopolis. Well, okay, yeah. So, so as has been pointed out, it, you know, the, the, the lovely and charming small town in Murder, She Wrote had, like, one of, the, one of the highest murder rates per capita of anywhere in the country in the history the, of, of, of murder. And sleep, like, I worry that the very charming town of Sleepy Hollow does not quite support the show's depiction of it just yet. It sort of feels as if, yeah, like it either needs to expand its vision or, you know, alternately, I think that we'd both be equally satisfied if it could find, if it could find a way to maybe uh, zero in, uh, in, in a way. I mean, like, I, I sort of felt like one of my favorite episodes of the season 
was the one which focused on the Gollum, and this was sort of where you really kind of learned the secret origin of Ichabod's son, although at the time we weren't really aware of how he would come back into play. And that was really an episode which, you know, used a few interesting mystical things. You know, there was an appearance by the coven that has been lurking around Sleepy Hollow for a while. Uh, There were, you know... There was the usual array of flashbacks, which always look kind of painfully like, uh, you know, something from a Ken Burns documentary. But there was also, I thought, a real sort of emotional undercurrent to it. And I, I, I sort of find that because the actors are so good, I almost want the show to be more like that and less like what you're kind of describing, which is this sort of almost video game level up system of now we've seen two horsemen, soon we'll get to the next horseman. Because I, I do sort of feel like, I mean, yeah, if. If the whole point of the show is just avert the apocalypse and the very last episode is the apocalypse, you know, will they avert it? I'm not sure. Like that, that's sort of, that's where I sort of start to worry about it. And that's also where, um, you know, you, you were sort of talking about how the show really does have this great sort of kitchen sink quality to it. You know, the sort of craziness, I would say the sort of explicit craziness of the storytelling and this real sort of, you know, zombie Washington, we're going there sort of aspect to it, that starts to feel like just sort of wheel spinning if you sort of know where it's going in the end. And, and you know, yeah. as awesome as the John Noble twist was, you know, I, I sort of hope that what we see next season is a deepening of the characters or maybe just a, 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 an expansion of this world beyond, you know, bad demon in purgatory, you know, his horsemen running around on earth and our witnesses sort of trying to stop it. So, yeah, I, 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 and also an expanding of the historical scope. I think that, you know, I, I wrote two pieces about Sleepy Hollow this year and at the mid-season one, like I, I kind of expressed an itch to see, um, um, you know, right now all of our flashbacks have sort of taken place at the Revolutionary War period. And that makes sense because... We're, we're, we're seeing essentially um, the man that Ichabod used to be in his life and all that. Um, I'd love to know if there might have been other historical periods in U.S. history where there might have been these you know, flashpoints um, in this sort of like larger mythological, fantastical, like, you know, apocalyptic war. Um, and, you know, like, is it possible that Ichabod might have been revived but made to forget? And so what if he had an adventure in the Civil War era? Or, you know, what, what if there were other heroes or other, you know, villains during, during the time? I, I'd love to see kind of like the, the, the show consider that possibility. Yeah, well, well, and, you know, uh, it, it's funny, I, I sort of think that what you're saying, what sort of underlies it is something that, uh, I think you may have even mentioned this all the way back in your first piece about Sleepy Hollow, you know, what very often makes shows like this interesting is when uh, in their, it, it often happens in their second season, they can sort of upend, you know, who you think was good and who you think was bad. And right now, I think part of the problem is Moloch is so clearly evil. I mean, you know, there, there's, the, there's not a whole lot of dimensionality to this demon who lurks in purgatory and wants to swallow all of our souls. And on the other side, you have you know, this sort of coalition of Freemasons who, you know, one of whom was George Washington. He seems he seems pretty securely on the side of good, I think it's fair to say. Um, and, uh, you know, the one time you kind of had a little bit of ambiguity was with the witches, with this sort of coven 
um, to which Katrina Crane belonged. And somewhere along the way, and I, I, I have to admit, like I, I may have missed an episode where this was actually explored in depth, but it does seem as if they sort of turned against Katrina, that, that they, in fact, actually banished her to purgatory. And I sort of loved that idea of, you know, in the very first episode, you're given all these different groups who seem to pretty clearly sit on one side of the divide or the other, the the, the divide being do you support the apocalypse or not? And I, I just, I, I think that if the show can really make me believe that there's more to it than just, you know, good versus evil on both sides, then I, I, I think that'll make it exciting. And what gives me hope is that, uh, you know, of, of all people, the um, the character played by uh, John Cho, who I, I, I want to give him credit because, you know, I, I sort of felt like, you know, he's, he's a relatively big star, and his entire role in the show was just kind of being a sad sack and decomposing and, you know, just sort of popping up occasionally and constantly having his head splayed backwards in different directions. But I sort of liked how, you know, he seemed to actually be coming from somewhere. He seemed to be feeling like, you know, the apocalypse is inevitable. I don't want that, but... I know it's going to happen, so I'm going to do what I can to help myself and the woman I sadly love from afar who clearly doesn't feel that way about me. You know, I, I sort of want more of that and less of, you know, seven seals breaking and seven trumpets humming and seven pipers piping or whatever else is in the Book of Revelations. <laughs> but if we're going to get that, and this kind of like goes back to another point and maybe kind of crystallize it, is that I, I, I love a little bit more of a coherent framework for it. Like, I kind of felt like every episode was like, yeah, crazy new thing, and I really wasn't like sure how it connected to the larger mythology of what came before. What was the episode where, you know, they, they, they found some kind of, like, gateway to, like, some circle of hell and let out monsters? And, like, I, I, like, like I, th- th- there was, like, uh, I mean, even in, the, even in the finale, like, you know, I, I was, like, um, interesting. It was, like, it, it leads you to believe in the first hour that it's all about getting George Washington's Bible. Like, this is it. This is the final thing that we need that will, like, you know, like, this is what the season's building up to, the final MacGuffin to chase after and the thing that everyone wants. Uh, no, actually, there's a map. like, <laughs> And that's the important thing. And then, like, you know, I kind of feel like that was the that was a lot of the season. It was like, okay, it's this important thing. No, 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 ne- next week it's this important thing. And no, 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 it's, like, they're fighting over this. No, no, yep, no, they're fighting yep. over that. And, like, Okay, I, 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 maybe next season they could tell I, I, just something, just a little more clarity, a little more logical connection between these things. Um, I do think that as, as fun as the storytelling was this year, I think a lot of it is also just like um, flying by the seat of our pants. Like, how do we make this thing work? Okay, we found out how this thing works. Let's slow down the storytelling. Let's get out of this season with a nice little bump and beep. beep. And then next season, we'll apply all of our learning to a more kind of like coherent but equally hopefully fun like 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 yeah totally i think i think that basically we 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 both sort of feel like you know uh we love the people on this show we want this show to be about people and not about people chasing things because if it is just no we need the bible no we need the map no we need the seal no we need this then you know that that does sort of get a little bit um a a, a little bit boring and you know again i i sort of think that because 
what what a rock solid foundation to build on with like two characters played by two really sharp actors. You know, with this possibility of John Noble really incarnating this character, lots lots of potential. I, I think it's fair to say. I, I think I, I think we're both going to be excited when this comes yeah. back forever from now. <laughs> right, exactly. It almost makes me. I, I suddenly had this thought, Darren. Like, you know, what would be a perfect format for this show is the Sherlock format. Jeff, I was literally, literally, I was just thinking that. That is, we are on the wavelength. Like, the <laughs> the, the three 90-minute episodes per year, right? Yeah, I that, mean, like, because I think that, like, you could, like, that might be a really great speed for the show. Like, this is so wishful thinking. Clearly, they're never going to do this. It's just not the model that they can make. But, like, you can, you can have, like, you know, one of the great benefits of the Sherlock model is um, you, you you get just enough but leaves you wanting more. You have sort of an introductory episode that sets in motion a, some themes and some stories for the season. And then you get that middle episode that's basically like, you know, uh, Hound of the Baskervilles or Crazy Story or, 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 or Lighter in Nature before you get into the hardcore mythological Moriarty episode of the third of, of the third final movie. And I think that Sleepy Hollow could do that. You know, it's like you could, I, I, I would, I would love to see a structure like that where the first episode is like announcing the themes of the year and kind of set in motion some mythological things. And the second movie is sort of like high concept adventure of the season. And then the third episode is like the hardcore mytholo- mythology. Well, and you know, because the great thing about that, uh, that style, which Sherlock has just sort of nailed so well is the rhythm of it is great because Sherlock is also a show that in, in a different sort of way really gets by on very fast paced story. Storytelling, and you know, there are some episodes of that show that begin at a very, very fast pace. That that you know, very much kind of recall uh, Stephen Moffat's other show, Doctor Who. You know, like, like the use of time on that show is great, but because you know, you sort of have ninety minutes of fast, fast, fast fun, and then that kind of you know, reaches some nice ending, and then 90 minutes of different fast, fast, fast fun, and then the last 90 minutes of climactic crazy fun, and then, you know, while we, the audience, are still sort of like, you know, we can barely even breathe, then it cuts off, and, you know, in Sherlock's case, it's always like, well, we'll see you in two years, but yeah, like I, I do sort of feel like, you know, especially since... Uh, Sleepy Hollow kind of has the same quality of they kind of tell stories any way they want to. Sometimes there's flashbacks, sometimes there's dream sequences. Like you sort of, you sort of, you sort of almost want them to be able to do more of that while doing less of that all at the same time. Yeah. Um, by, by the way, we have to do a podcast in the next couple of weeks on Sherlock, especially after the third uh, movie airs. Um, because have you already, have you already seen I've all got stuff to say about that one? Like, uh, like I'm, I, I, I have issues. Ooh, interesting. Jeff Jensen has issues. An exciting new podcast coming from the EW Radio Network. Um, no, uh, that uh, Jeff, that sounds great. Uh, so th- what? That would be in two weeks. Then is is that right? Uh, full, full, full confession. I still haven't watched the first episode of Sherlock. I know I'm an awful pop culture person. Um, but uh, we'll definitely discuss that in a couple weeks. Uh, but for right now, Jeff, I I, I, I want to leave Sleepy Hollow. I, I want to leave that that lovable uh, Berg just north of New York City or south of New York City. I don't know directions. And talk about uh, a, a very different series, which I know we both have plenty of thoughts about. Some good, some bad, all brilliant. Um, Jeff, uh, NBC's Community. 
uh, began its fifth season a few weeks ago. This, of course, is the sitcom about community college students, which quickly became a sitcom about being a sitcom, which then became a sitcom about life itself, perhaps. Uh, this season has been rebooted and reharmonized as original creator Dan Harmon returned uh, from his banishment, from his exile, so to speak. Um, we are currently, as of today, three episodes into this season, I think. Three episodes? Four episodes? Um, I've, 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 I've already lost track of my notes, which, just to give people, to, to paint a picture, look kind of like that scene in A Beautiful Mind. Um, Jeff, when Community started its new season, you wrote a review, you gave the premiere a B, and uh, I, I, I sensed a mixture of excitement and hesitancy in your review. I, I, you know, I, as you know, I so often like to do sort of armchair therapy on you based on your writing. Uh, and I, I got the sense that you were excited that Community was back with the sort of peculiar mixture of misanthropy and tremendous uh, generosity that Dan Harmon brings to it. Uh, we just uh, had a few episodes, one of which was a sort of elaborate parody of David Fincher. This last episode was a bottle episode that was sort of in celebration of uh, the Pierce character. Uh, where are you at with Community now, at, at this point in this, this strange show's strange run on television? <laughs> if I could go back to that review of Community, um, I, would actually, I would actually give it a B plus And to... To, to clarify, that grade was not just for the premiere, which I would actually give a solid A or A minus to. It was for the the, the three episodes that um, NBC had provided critics in advance for, for it, which was um, which was the premiere, and then the second episode, comma, which I completely forget. <laughs> that was okay, okay. No, no. Uh, that was the episode. The B plot was the Nicolas Cage story oh, arc, where Abed sort of undergoes this. Oh, it was it was Jeff Winger's first day of teaching class. Yes, and, and yes. All of that, and I thought that episode was just okay. And um, and then the other episode that was made available to us was the episode that just aired. Um, last week, which was the uh, sort of uh, uh, Walt, uh, Walton Go uh, Goggins like coming in as 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 Pierce's lawyer and administering the administering the um, the, the lie detector test um, to determine like allegedly who might have had reason to kill him, but really as a setup to sort of like get, uh, like hand out some bequeathments and and actually express his love for these people um, uh, posthumously from the grave. Um, and um, when I uh, and I, and I and I loved that episode. I think I love it. I I liked it a lot when I first saw it. Um, I didn't think it was as good as the premiere, but then I watched it again last week, and I thought I completely undervalued this episode. <laughs> this is really funny and really good, um, and, and it really really works. And I think it that episode really accomplished for me my big. Um, uh, my big source of mixed feelings about the new season, which was as great as the premiere uh, was and how awesome it is to have Dan Harmon's voice back and his brand of genius kind of like telling these stories. I love his voice. I, I love the mile-a-minute banter. I love the, 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 the references and, 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 the, and, and, the, and the dialogue and, and the characters and everything. I just so am glad that he is back telling these stories. 
I really felt the cost of his absence. I really felt disconnected from these characters. Like he was, he was a great storyteller telling me about char- stories, uh, a story about characters that I realized that I, I had fallen out of love with, that I had kind of thought that like uh, a year of mismanagement um, like had sort of like, it just, I, I, I'd lost connection with them and I had, I no longer cared. Mm-hmm. And, one of the things I thought was really genius about the premiere was it was this giant metaphor about the show's own fragility and, 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 and needing to be saved, and it created a classic episode of community um, about the, the, the state of community, um, which was great because it's, you know, community, one of the things that it does that really, really well, although it alienates some people, is that it does these sort of pop culture pastiches. And that one sort of riffed on the final season of Scrubs in which they tried to keep the franchise alive with a whole different sort of like premise and approach um, and, and all of that. And sort of like a community kind of winked at that, well, not winked, it overtly referenced it. Um, but it was also like refer- referencing itself. Um, it was a pastiche of itself in some ways. So, um, I, and, and I thought it was brilliant and it really worked. And it, but it ended on that really sort of melancholy note of Jeff Winger, like, you know, I, I really admired his conflict in the premiere of like, uh, you know, he, he comes back to Greendale effectively to destroy it um, um, out of, you know, an expression of his own sort of squandered life. And now sort of like is finding himself in a position to save it by doing the thing that he probably wants to do least in his life, which is come back and be a teacher. And so that great last shot of her sort of like zooming in on his sort of face of like, am I doing the right thing? Do I really want to be here or not? It was a genius hour, a half hour of comedy and, and structure and, and Dan Harmonishness, but that captured like, uh, the word I used was bittersweet. It felt like it had a real bittersweet vibe and it really kind of feel like it, it is, 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 are, are we in the twilight of community, really? Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, you bring up so many interesting things, both about that premiere and about the state of the show. The one thing that has really intrigued me about all the episodes since then, um, which I, I, I think uh, I've maybe enjoyed even more than you, especially the episode, episode three was this sort of extended David Fincher riff, which, you know, on one hand, just doing a parody of David Fincher would be sort of enough for me, but the fact that it wound up being a parody of sort of of Zodiac, which is like Fincher's best and sort of strangest movie and is is not the one that initially seems like it would be the obvious target of any sort of homage, was so interesting. But even in that episode, you do sort of feel as if, uh, you know, there's, there's there's a thing that happens to most sitcoms as they go along, which is that they sort of get happier. They sort of, you know, and, and the characters, as they sort of get older, uh, you know, they, they sort of get more settled, uh, you know, on, on so many sitcoms. Uh, will they or won't they? Couples just become couples, and then they become parents, and then they become, you know. There's, there's a general sense of, an example of this that I always think of, and admittedly, I'm very far behind on it, is Parks and Recreation, which I think in a lot of ways is still a very kind of sharp show in its own right. But, you know, there's a sense that the characters are all very goofy and wacky, but they're also, like, good at their jobs, and, you know, they keep on sort of, like, keeping on. Uh, what's interesting about, about Community is the longer it goes on, the more you're aware of the fact that, you know, 
whatever sort of meta world this takes place in, these are characters vividly defined who are still in community college who kind of seem like losers, really, and who, who seem painfully aware of that. And more and more, it, it, what I loved about that first episode was it managed to take something that should have been very meta, this sort of sense of, you know, look at how this show has changed, you know, look at how you people as TV characters have sort of become less refined and a more sort of cartoony over the course of these past few years, especially in the sort of uh, the, the harmonless season four. But you could also argue that that was already happening while he was still on the show. And right. it sort of used that very meta referential thing to make a really sort of interesting and very sort of painfully realistic point about, about, about people, about, you know, depression, about failure, about all yeah. sorts of things that managed to, I, I, I think that when the show is at its best, it manages to somehow be very meta, but through that meta-ness, it becomes very realistic. And I, I'm not quite sure that, uh, I, I, that I've seen that happen anywhere else. And I, I do think that is very much the sort of Dan Harmon influence that the show was sort of lacking in its fourth season. You know that phrase, the, you know, finding the universal and the particular, that kind of idea? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that community goes for that. They're, 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 they are finding these sort of universal themes that we can all relate to uh, through the very particular. The, the, the twisted sort of irony of that is that the particular is like like geek culture, pop culture references, you know, um, and I always really appreciated that about the show. I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I, and I completely agree. I, true confession, I did not see the Fincher episode. Um, so I... I I, and, and I don't want to sound like that you and I disagree at all about the state of community. I, I, I need to go back and watch that, that Fincher homage. But, um, um, but like, again, I love the first one. I realized watching the fourth one that I liked it even more. Um, second episode of Community is, you know, you're going to get episodes of like that where some things work and you have some great gags and yep. some don't. Yep. Um, it sounds like the, 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 that, that third one, the Fincher episode, was a total winner. I um, mean, I'm really on board. Like, I, I, like um, if, if there was any sort of hesitancy in my review, it is, it is, it is, it is, I, it's not there anymore. Um, if, it, if it was there, um, it was, you know, especially after watching this most recent episode again, it was just like, I love this show. Yeah, well, well and, you know, uh, but, but I think that, you know, I, I should just stress, you know, lest I sound like a complete fanboy, one of the things about this show that I think is interesting is it, it has always been very hit or miss. And, you know, there are uh, episodes that are sort of just built on concepts that don't quite carry off. Uh, and I think that that is what really... Um, when the show was in its prime, and, and by prime I just mean you know there were more than thirteen episodes per season, what gave it I think a lot of it, a lot of its appeal to people who like that kind of thing, you know, like you never quite know what kind of community you're getting. Just in these first four episodes, we've had two episodes that were really just laser-focused on the characters. You know, the first episode and this most recent episode mostly took place entirely inside of the study room. But then you had an extended sort of homage parody. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm sort of underselling that Fincher one because it's also sort of maybe a parody of, of procedural TV shows. And then you had... Um, uh, you know, you also had the episode that felt a little bit concept-free, that had, you know, it was just Jeff starting work as a teacher at community college and Abed going on yet another sort of pop culture adventure. And I, I think that, 
you know, boy, who who knows if this show will last another season? The ratings haven't been great, but honestly, at this point, it seems like Community might just be the cockroach that that somehow manages to stay on NBC as yeah. as as everything else falls away. So I, uh, we talked. I th- we we've talked a little bit about Community in the past, and I think one thing that keeps on coming back that's that's so winning about the show through you know you know through brilliance and through episodes that don't really hit is that it just has this crazy ambition to it mm-hmm. uh, and not not crazy in a um, sleepy hollow kind of way i mean most episodes of community are pretty really tight and like um and and and, and dense and um but i mean it's just like that like but the stuff that they ideas that they give themselves over to whether it's a you know stop motion animation christmas special or like a show that's completely set in an 8-bit video game world or the very kind of like a rigorous pop culture like you know homages and 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 stuff like um and and with really inventive like a dialogue like hilarious dialogue um and, and, and the characters are so finely, sharply drawn. You know exactly who these people are, and yet we've also seen them grow too. Like it's um, it's uh, it, the, the ambition is, is is so admirable that even when episodes like you know that you know uh, it, it's I'm okay with watching Dan Harmon fail. You yes, know? yes, absolutely. Um, because I'm, I'm not, even I, I'm not necessarily into watching people trying to be like Dan Harmon fail. Er, see season four. <laughs> Like, but like Dan Harmon has such a great voice, and you know when he hits, he soars, and when he doesn't hit, it's interesting. Um, and um, through it all, a voice and a sensibility is 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 is, is emerging and, and 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 growing and 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 and, and solidifying. Like, uh, it, it's really uh, you know I, I like that. One one quick other note about that. I want to return to a, a thought that I had at the beginning of the season when I kind of. W- that idea that I said that I felt like I was really disconnected from the characters and I, w- I wanted to care about the characters more. I think that was one of the genius things about this most recent episode, this sort of almost near bottle episode that had them all in the, uh, the study group all together taking these lie detector, this lie detector test. And it really was like, it, it was a great device that was, you know, that was really all about getting them talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and in this fashion, community did something very clever like reconnected us really well with like here's who these people are this is what they're about like this is what's at stake for them um um especially with the character of troy i thought that was a really nice bit of work in him and um kind of like uh kind of like getting getting the setting up you know his unfortunate eminent departure from the show um, but I, so I, I felt like it was not only a really good episode of Community, but strategically really good for that franchise. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, Jeff, uh, I'm, we, I'm sure we could like sort of talk about this for forever. I'm sort of looking forward to seeing how we're feeling about the show as it sort of, as it sort of continues through this fifth season. Fingers crossed, six seasons and a movie. Um, but uh, with the time we have left, though, Jeff, you already kind of addressed some of the more showier episodes of Community that we've seen. Um, I sort of have like a list of episodes here uh what do you have like two or three favorite episodes or two or three episodes that really conjure up to you like uh what what makes community community um yeah um it'll be interesting to see i'll, I'll give you my three and then um and then uh and then you give me your three it'll be interesting to see if um if there's uh, any crossover yeah um Probably not, Jeff, because as we know, I, I disagree with you on absolutely everything. So right. there is there is very little chance of that happening. <laughs> in, 
not necessarily in any particular order. Um, you know, I get the privilege of going first, so I will just take the easiest one in the world, remedial chaos theory. Yep, yep. Um, which was uh, the episode where um, they all go over to Troy and Ovid's house and uh, they, they explore different sort of like alternate realities and uh, branching sort of timelines of what might have happened if s- certain things kind of went differently, if someone different answers the door with, uh, for, for the, the pizza delivery guy, right? Yes, exactly right. Um, and that was, that's just a genius sort of example of, um, you know, the the, the, the the narrative storytelling, the very kind of inventive and innovative um, narrative storytelling that they, they do and the, the geeky concerns for the show. I also have a big soft spot in my heart. I, 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 and to prepare for this, I realize I have like 10 episodes, so I will only give you three. <laughs> um, uh, critical Film Studies, um, which was the episode in which um, – uh, Winger, Jeff Winger, and Abed have dinner together. It's that riff off my dinner with Andre, mm-hmm. while ev- everyone else is sort of, I believe, preparing for a surprise birthday party for Abed, which is a, the, the Pulp Fiction. Yeah. To uh, to be clear, this was actually like like one of my favorite things the community has ever done because they said this episode was going to be a Pulp Fiction homage, but in fact, it was a my dinner with Andre homage, <laughs> which is which is not a sentence you would ever expect to say about anything. <laughs> and it was super meta too. I mean, I think this is the one that really kind of indulged the Abed's like Cougar Town fixation. <laughs> like, um, like uh, I, I think, but like that, that, that was a really good one. And then um, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons um, in which they play, the study group is almost, it's another near um, bottle episode one where they play Dungeons and Dragons with, with, with Fat Neil and um, it ends up kind of being this really kind of great Pierce episode two and kind of exploring his biases and bigotry and, um, and, and, and kind of like hits on this sort of like great um uh the themes of 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 community about acceptance and intolerance and 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 being a community what life is like within a a community of people that don't necessarily get along and might actually offend each other and all that um but played through a game of dungeons and dragons um uh, like i wouldn't say those are my three favorite although i would certainly say that remedial chaos theory is in my top three but those are three that for me like of the ten that I wrote, so maybe they are my favorite three, but they're the ones that completely rose to the top and, and are the ones that I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you know, uh, Jeff, uh, I'm so glad that uh, we both clearly did the same thing, which is we wrote down ten episodes, and now I'm 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 crossing those three off of my list, and I'm going to throw out three very different ones because it, well, it's, those, it's, those three were on your list. Well, well, uh, I, I will just say uh, remedial chaos theory. That is an episode of television that I have watched uh, several times. I I, I I sort of feel like. What's great about that is, again, here you have something that is simultaneously very concepty and brain teasy, but also very focused on the characters. It almost kind of feels a little bit like a freshman writing class, um, uh, you know, like, like exercise in a way, you know, like write write one scene five different ways where one tiny thing changes each time. And I do love that about it. Uh, however, um, no, I, I, I specifically wanted to leave that off my list because I, 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 I was pretty sure that you would get to it. Um, the first one that always pops into my mind, actually, is uh, sort of an obvious one, but it's the one that really made me sort of stand up and really pay attention to community, which is uh, the first paintball episode, Modern Warfare, from the end of the first season. Uh, this, I think, was really um, 
one of the most kind of like openly ambitious high concept episodes that the show did in its first season. And, and for me, you know, as someone who came to it very, very gradually, it was when I, I really realized just what the show could feasibly accomplish. Um, I also just love it because it's directed by my boy Justin Lin, uh, also known as the director of such films as Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, and Furious Six. Um, so I have to kind of stump for that one a little bit. Um, but uh, strangely enough, not on my top ten. I, I you, you know, I can believe that. I mean, uh, I, I think that for me, that is very much a nostalgia choice, just because that is really when Community sank its teeth into me. Uh, and I think that, I mean, in a way, as far as concept episodes go, it's almost kind of the simplest in a way. You know, like you sort of get it right away. It's just sort of an action movie with paintballs. Um, but I, I've always been very very struck by that. It's also, it's an episode that it feels to me like Dan Harmon could, if he wanted to, write a perfectly awesome action movie. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I like that episode, yeah. It's, it's funny. It's like, there's enough great stuff in the, in, in, in the, in the years of Community that, like, like an episode that good like is not on my top 10. Now, 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 let me throw this one your way though, Jeff, because this also was, this was really me pre Wikipedia, just, just trying to write down. Cause you know, I, you know, of course I immediately went on Wikipedia to the, to the episodes page and saw all of the ones that I'd forgotten about. But the one that I always uh, think about as sort of standing out to me for, for, for reasons that I, 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 I think speak to some of the show's secret strengths is uh, mixology certification from the start of season two. This is the episode where Troy is turning 21 and everyone decides they're going to take him out for drinks. And what happens is basically, I mean, (laughs) it's almost, it's a very, it's a very sort of realistic and almost hilariously confessional episode. It almost feels a little bit to me like an episode of Girls that happened to be shot by the community cast where everyone starts drinking and becomes their absolute worst selves. This is when Troy and Britta are still kind of having their, uh, you know, the, the constant back and forths. And th- there's just sort of a, a great moment that feels very sort of oddly real to me when Troy is about to take his first drink looks around at his friends who are all older than him and who've all become total monsters over the course of the evening and then does the most adult thing ever and drives them all home. And I, I sort of love that episode because as ambitious as Community is, there are times when it feels to me like, you know, again, this is Dan Harmon almost kind of showing off in a way. It could just be a great, very realistic sitcom. And that is sort of what I get from that episode. I don't know, did, like, does that even like, like pop for you or am I totally like, like rambling here? <laughs> um, really good episode, also not on my top 10. I like it. I, I, I like it. I'm, I'm being different, Jeff. All right, well, last one, last one I'm sure will appear on your top 10. Uh, you had actually mentioned this earlier, Digital Estate Planning, the 8-bit episode from the end of season three. Uh, just because, polar opposite of mixology certification, this is an episode that, it's, this is an episode that makes me feel like community is also, in a way, like the only real, uh, you know, current heir to spoofmeisters like the Zucker Brothers or Mel Brooks in the 70s, because it's just this incredible, you know, beautifully ornate and specific parody of, you know, the sort of era of 8-bit video games that also happens to be surprisingly moving. If, if I recall correctly, the whole episode is about Pierce sort of going into this elaborate video game that his father has constructed. I don't know, I, I, again, like... You know, if, if 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 it were just a very pretty, 
uh, homage to 8-bit games, it, it would still be in my top 10. But the fact that it actually managed to find some sort of nicer emotional point and also feature a great ca- um, a great guest appearance by uh, the man who was Gus Fring uh, that that always really sort of like pumped that one up for me is, is, is that is that in your top 10 at all or is that uh... oh totally yeah I mean that was I'm, I, I, I want to say that in, in, in a previous podcast we actually talked about that episode a great deal yep um, and uh, and I, I, I like that. I like that one a lot. Too, where, now, now uh, where does uh, here's here's a question? Uh, is that above or below the claymation episode for you? I always kind of go back and forth on this a little bit because I I love the the claymation Christmas episode quite a bit too. I do like the claymation. I think I'm, I might. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Like I like both of them in equal measure. I think I I, I, I think I have more admiration for digital estate planning because I feel like that's a, that's a guttier call by the show. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, uh, doing a show that is an homage to like, you know, classic Christmas specials that the, that are, uh, that are the very recognizable reference to mainstream um, uh, culture and, uh, and, 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 and given the nature of that animation and given the nature of the, of the motifs they're working with are is capable of eliciting actually an emotional reaction. Like, not that it was difficult, easy at all. I'm sure it was a very difficult episode. And I, and one other reason I really like it too, is I believe it has a very sort of fun lost critique a critique of the show Lost, as well as an affirmation of what the message of, 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 of Lost was all about. It was like a touche, also, oh, you got it kind of thing, <laughs> like, uh, like which, which, which I, which I love. I just think it's digital estate planning was just a little more like inspired, like, you know, like, like I, I, I would love to have been on the fly of the wall for that conversation with the studio and the network. Yeah, me- episode set in an 8-bit animation world. Like, are you kidding? Yeah, well, well and, you know, I'm sure it speaks to just how different the show's situation was a mere season and a half later, where you're going from, like, you know, we're doing a a an homage to something most people understand to an homage that is only understood by a significantly smaller group of people. Although I will say, uh, I, I I often wonder if uh, if if I were to show, say, my parents digital estate planning, I wonder if they would sort of because I I think that they would get it, even though to them. It, 8-bit video games are just the thing that I rotted my brain with when I was a kid. I, I sort of feel like, right. uh, again, this is sort of what makes community work and why, you know, I, I always hope that at some point it will sort of break out of this very, very passionate but still very cult fan base is the fact that, you know, at, at no point does Dan Harmon and, uh, you know, and the writers that he have working for him seem self-satisfied in their eccentricity. It always feels like they're trying to kind of as you said, find the uh, universal in the specific. Is that what you said, Jeff? I I I, like I wasn't really listening. Universal, <laughs> like I don't know. Like, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I like I don't think that you know, eight bit animation is a reference uh, that is so obscure. I think a lot of people will get it, but a, a whole episode set in that world, like the the gamble that this kind of like storytelling language could actually have some kind of like emotional like resonance like that's the huge gamble and um and i think that we we both agree that 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 paid off um i'd love oh sorry go ahead jeff no i was saying just just real quick before we go like i'd love to know just real quick just titles not necessarily in-depth exploration but like some others that might have been on your list some others that were on my list included uh 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 
I, I just want to do this because the titles are so great, right? Um, but, but basic lupine urology, which I believe was the law and order. Uh, Jeff, it's so funny you said that. That was literally going to be, th- that is my number four, the incredible law and order parody that is also a celebration of everything law and order does. Um, the uh, uh, accounting for lawyers um, episode, which is probably on on my list, maybe one of the uh, um, uh, not among the more high concept episodes. But I believe it was the season premiere of season two, and this is the episode in which uh, Winger was tempted to come come back to his old law firm, and uh, I believe uh, Martin Bull had this great cameo as the head of the firm. He had a hole in his hand. Um, and there was some other stuff going on. Uh, I, it, it was just this very kind of simple character piece, largely about Jeff that has some really good gags around it. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for that, um, as well as um, Basic Rocket Science, which was the episode in which uh, um, I believe that Greendale uh, brings a, a space shuttle to campus and they get trapped inside, um, I believe, or was it a rocket ship or something? I forget what it was, but I just, I'm just remembering just sort of the, the, the fun that was had with the study group locked inside this sort of like, you know, either uh, promotional uh, vehicle uh, spaceship or an actual uh, spatial. Anyway, I, I remember laughing a lot at that one. Um, and then um, in conspiracy theories and in, in interior design. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, my God, Jeff. I'm so glad you said that. That episode, which features uh, somewhat like frequent guest star Kevin Corrigan as Professor Professorson, is <laughs> one of my favorite episodes. And it, again, it, it speaks to what the show can do so well, because it just kind of perfectly captures this sort of like awesome thriller it, you know, entirely with with these characters. I, I, I remember there's there's a scene towards the end between him and Jeff and Annie that just I it kills me every time. And while all that is happening, that's also the debut of the Blanket Fort, isn't it? Isn't that when? Uh... Oh, totally, the Blanket Fort episode, which was great, and like another kind of great example of I think some of the things that you've been talking about here, which is this ability of of of, of community to tell these stories that feel like. Uh, parables or allegories about much bigger concerns about the family of man and community and all this kind of stuff, uh, but kind of expressed through the, uh, the, the the business of creating this elaborate uh, blanket fort fort in the uh, in the in, in the dorms. But but yeah, and then Professor Professorson kind of like this whole sort of like con within a con within a con kind of structure. If I'm recalling that correctly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I loved like uh, that was great. Well, and, and, you know, and again, uh, you know, this, again, what's great about Dan Harmon is he seems to simultaneously, and, and you know, again, I, I, I should stress when I say Dan Harmon, he, he does work with a lot of very talented writers who, who've been on the staff of community for a long time, but what I think he brings to the table is he's very good at analyzing what makes certain forms of writing sort of ridiculous, but he also loves that ridiculousness. And whenever I think of conspiracy theories and interior design, on one hand, it sort of feels like a critique of that kind of storytelling, um, which you know, plenty of 
plenty of filmmakers who, who I like are all about. You know, Christopher Nolan, J.J. Abrams are people who do kind of cons within cons within cons. But what's great is the, is the episode is also so exciting that you kind of wind up being even more excited about it. Like, yeah, like more more cons, please. Like, and I, I sort of I love that sort of bountifulness that the community sort of brings. Um, I I was sort of racing over here, and my last few episodes, I unfortunately did not mark down the titles, but uh, the one from I think it was season three where you had the sort of flashbacks to earlier episodes that didn't happen. Do you know what I'm talking about here? And it sort of ended with Jeff giving five different speeches at at once, sort of wrapping up everything. Yep. That one's great. Uh, And then um, I believe it was part two of a kind of blanket for two-parter, also from season three, but it was shot entirely like a Ken Burns documentary with, I think if I'm recalling correctly, the voice of Keith David as the narrator, is that is that striking a chord with you at all, Jeff? That yes. uh, does. That really... And, God, what I, again, as I'm describing this, I sort of feel like, God, like, did did my, like, you know, like, adult brain come up with this? I mean, I, I just, I, I love the... I, I, I do hope that the show continues to be ambitious as the season goes along. Uh, but, uh, by the way, Jeff, have you seen uh, the new uh, series that Dan Harmon co-created, uh, Rick and Morty? On uh, Adult Swim, I believe. Not yet. It's it's it is it is worth a watch. We'll have to talk about that uh, at some point in the future. I'm sure we will be discussing Dan Harmon more. Uh, that about wraps it up for me, Jeff. Uh, do you have any other closing thoughts about community or about the very nature of community in human society? No. Good. Me neither. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. This has been Entertainment Geekly. I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff. Jeff. See you next week.